You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replaceable blade knives, fixed blade knives, and game processing kits. Now we've all been there before, trying to field dress your wild game with a dull knife. This is where Outdoor Edge really steps in. With the Razor Safe system, you can have a brand new razor sharp blade with just the push of a button. No more dull blades and no more problems processing your wild game. To check out all of the products from Outdoor Edge, visit OutdoorEdge.com. And at checkout, enter the discount code NATION30. That's N-A-T-I-O-N-3-0 for 30% off of your purchase. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, your home for all things outdoors and the Badger State. I'm your host, Josh Raley, and today we've got a great interview with Neil Hogger. Neil is a land specialist with Whitetail Properties, and his territory includes some of the absolute best hunting real estate in the nation. In this episode, we cover how to locate, purchase, and improve the land of your dreams. Now, if you've ever thought about buying land, uh, if you already own land, or even if you've always thought that land owning land was just out of reach for you, you're going to want to listen to this episode. It can seem really, really daunting uh, when you're starting to think through, okay, what are the first steps of land ownership? How do I find a property? Uh, or even when it comes down to, okay, how do I improve my land? How do I make this major investment that I've made better so that when I go to sell it, I can potentially upgrade to a larger piece of property or so that when I leave it to my loved ones after I'm gone, uh, they're going to be able to uh, get as much as possible out of that out of that property. So this is a fantastic episode. Uh, really thankful that Neil was uh, willing to come on and give me some of his time. Looking forward to having him on again very, very soon. But before we jump in, I do want to share with you that uh, our new website, the thewisconsinsportsman.com is live on there. You're going to find our new hashtag limb hanger shirt inspired by a photo of a turkey I harvested this past spring. Go on there, uh, buy one of those shirts. It will really, really help us out. Best of all, with that, 10% of the proceeds from this shirt go to Turkeys for Tomorrow to fund wild turkey research. So go on there, grab you a shirt, support the podcast. You can feel good about that. 
uh, and uh, yeah, support great conservation, a great conservation organization. And uh, yeah, so this week I'm going to keep this introduction a little bit short. My family and I ended up uh, catching the Rona this week. We all tested positive. So hey, uh, keep this as short as possible. Let you get on to the conversation now with Neil Hawker. All right, on the line with me today with the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast is Neil Hogger with Whitetail Properties. How you doing, Neil? Hi, Josh. I'm doing good, buddy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. How's this time of year for you when it comes to business? Are you rocking and rolling? You know, I sell land every month of the year, and I get new listings and I get new sales. And if I'm looking at my board right here in my office, I got five or six deals working right now. They're all kind of coming to close and um, so yeah, I sell land every month of the year. It doesn't matter. People buy the land that I sell when they find it. Uh, it doesn't matter the weather. It definitely cold weather can hinder the ability to show the land and it's freezing, it's snowing and whatever, but yeah, we're selling all the time, buddy. And the cold weather may hinder people's ability to get out and, and uh, view it, but it hasn't hindered you. I've been checking up with you on Instagram <laughs> and you're out there in the, in the thick of it. Man, I tell you the best, the best time to sell land is when I can sell it and I'll go look at land anytime I have the opportunity. And honestly, I think one of the reasons that I, if I do say so, have done so well is that nothing stops me. I go, I'm not, I'm not going to let anything stop me. I've gone in the heat of the summer and the coldest days. I think the other day I posted, it was like, minus 22 with wind chill or some stupid thing. And, but I had a 20 acre little parcel and I just loaded my lab up in her, in her insulated kennel. And I said, let's go. And, you know, we were out there for 25 minutes and in the timber, it wasn't as windy and I was moving and I'm dressed well. I mean, I'm I'm covered up and sick of gear. And so it's, it's honestly, it's not that bad. You just gotta be willing to do it. Sure. Sure. Well, I, I gotta say from the stuff that you've been putting online, putting on YouTube stuff, you've been throwing up on Instagram, it's been really informative, man. Even you were walking through a timber stand the other day and just talking yeah. about the impact that that has on sale value and trying to communicate that to people that are either buying yeah. or selling their land. This is really informative stuff. So for anybody who's listening that hasn't heard of you, I highly recommend they check out your YouTube channel, American Landman. Is that right? Yeah. If you, if you search, uh, if you search YouTube for Neil Hogger land specialist, you'll find it. It'll come up, but yeah, it's called the American Landman, and, I, you know, I've been selling land for whitetail properties now in Northwest Wisconsin for about seven years. And the reason I started that channel was I was kind of hearing the same questions all the time. Like people had the same things that they didn't understand or they didn't have a perspective on. And, and I'm having these conversations again and again and again and again. And so I, I got a hold of whitetail and I said to uh, our marketing guy, I said, Hey, I have this idea for this, this concept for a YouTube channel. And it's to kind of put out there all of the good questions, the bad questions, the, the controversies, the everything that I come across. And I have these conversations almost on a daily basis, multiple times. And people want to know, they, they just want somebody to just give them the truth. And so that was, that was kind of like, the, the beginning that spawned that whole idea. But, and I also thought would people, you know, you see these, you see these reality TV shows with realtors and whatnot. And I thought, well, people find what I do interesting. And I think there's a niche, you know, in our world of hunters that kind of 
mean, I hear from people, they kind of, you know, I'd like to do what you do. And, and I thought, well, come and ride with me, you know, and a couple guys have, but then I thought, well, I'll just start showing you what I do. So then I started taking the camera along and trying to self film me looking at these properties. And I tried, you know, hiring a camera guy and, uh, he actually, one time I was out there with a Wisconsin grouse society, I think it was. And I was walking through the butt with a biologist and I had set up the episode that I told him, I'm going to film you and I'm going to walk through my property. And you're going to assess it. And I'm going to ask you questions and I'm going to set up some softballs. Cause I know what you're going to say a lot of times, but you know, I'm, I'm going to get you to tell me some things I'm trying to draw him out of his shell. Cause he's a biologist. He's not sales guy like me that talks all the time and it was going pretty good. You know, we, we've been walking around for an hour and I was asking him questions and then I was getting ready to wrap it up. So in these podcasts and these, you know, videos, you got the intro, the music, you know, and you got the body and then you kind of got the outro. So I was, I was winding it up, you know, and it was, it was a good, it was a great interview. And I'm, I give myself position so the camera guy can get me and him. And I noticed, I noticed that the biologist kept kind of moving. Like he, he was camera shy unintentionally, but I, I kept moving around and I got him to speak, got him to say, and as I'm wrapping up his final comments, which is really awesome. I look over at my camera guy and he's literally sitting on the camera. He's just like on pins and needles. Cause he was listening to what this guy was saying. Cause he had a question. And finally I said, cut. I said, Nick, are you filming? Oh, oh, oh shoot, gosh. man. Oh, yeah. And he's like, I'm like, dude, <laughs> I had you there to film. You're supposed to be recording this. He goes, oh, it was really interesting. I was listening to his answer. I'm like, ah. So, <laughs> you know, the self-filming thing, you're out there versus, you know, hiring a guy, which is probably not feasible at my level of, you know, YouTube notoriety. I do it all myself. And do the best you can, I guess, you know. Well, you're doing a great job, man, and super informative. I, I think that's just that's been the part that I've I've most enjoyed. Just super, super informative stuff. So uh well tell me a bit about why you got to where you are today. You weren't always in land sales. Uh no. and you know, I I don't know of a lot of guys that they're like, Yeah, man, I went to college and I came out and went right into land sales. You know, that was kind of my thing. So what journey yeah. brought you to where you are today? Man. All right. Well, just so guys know, I'm uh, pushing 60. I'm coming up on it really quick, two more years. And I have a lot of life stories and experiences, but I started out my career. I ended up out of high school. I decided I was going to become, you know, a biologist or wildlife guy. I like deer hunting and I, you know, I like being in the woods and I'm like, ah, oh, you know, what can I do? And one of my buddies was going to college and he says, where are you going to go to college? And I said, ah, I don't even know how to get into college. What do you, what, what are you doing? He goes, well, I'm going to Stevens point. And I'm like, Oh, that sounds good. So back then you had to actually mail, you know, information. They would mail you information long and short of it. I got into college. I don't know how, but I did. And I, I was studying to be a wildlife management and forestry uh, major. And as like a lot of guys, I was probably underprepared, under motivated, you know, chasing girls, drinking beer and, and I was in heaven in central, north central Wisconsin because I could deer hunt like you couldn't believe. And I spent more time in a tree stand than I did on my schoolwork. So um, I made it through three semesters. I think my first semester was like 1.7 GPA and I got put on probation, I think. And the second, I think I got up to like 1.9 or maybe two. 
And by the third, I got over 2.0. So I was at a C average, but I just realized that I was ill-equipped for this. I was really immature and I didn't have any real direction. So I left school and I don't know what it was about the military, but I've always envisioned myself in the military. I'm a very patriotic guy. Anybody knows me, they'll tell you. Um, and I just walked into a recruiter office one day and next thing I know, I was holding up my hand and I was in and I became a corpsman and it's spelled corpsman if you look it up. And I'm like, what's a corpsman? And he goes, well, it's kind of like a medic, you know, you're, you know, you go out on the battlefield or you could be assigned to a ship or maybe a hospital, but you're like a medic, you're a medical person. I'm like, oh, that sounds good. I was pretty good at science. So that's what I did. And, um, I spent 12 years total in the military, a little bit of broken. I had some active duty time. I worked in labor and delivery and newborn nursery and physical therapy. And I worked in security at the hospital. And um, then I got out of the Navy. But before I did, I got my license, uh, nursing license. I challenged the state boards of California. and I took my nursing license. And then I worked for about eight years as a um, eight or nine years as a chemical dependency and psychiatric specialist. And I specialized in chemical dependency where I would work in like the downtown areas of L.A. and uh, L.A. County with heavy duty drug addicts. And I met everybody from literally a guy that we pulled out of a dumpster to. Oh, gosh, world, you know, known athletes. I can't say their names, but world athletes that if I said their names, you would know um, congressmen, senators, musicians, like some really A-lister people. And they were down. They were heroin and drugs. And I mean, and I would detox them. We'd get them loaded up in our drugs and we'd detox them. Um, sometime around 1980, 1990, actually, 1990. I decided I wanted to go back to school. I was kind of like in my late twenties and I realized I'm never going to become anything if I don't get back in college. So at about age 28 or 29, I became a freshman in college. I moved back to university of Wisconsin lacrosse and um, didn't know what I was going to do, man. I just packed up a U-Haul and I drove three days and here I am, you know, and I just got into school and, and I, my backup was up against the wall. As far as school goes, I had no plan B and, there's nothing like not having a plan B to light a fire under your butt because it was truly survival. Um, there were times when I was literally homeless. I had no money. I spent everything and I was working part-time jobs. I delivered pizzas and I did, I did sales for a gym, a health club, and I started selling advertising. And that's when I started to realize I'm pretty good at sales. And I realized there was no ceiling. I was, I, my limitations were my own. And I ended up graduating, if I keep forward, in 1996, 97, actually. I finished my graduate degree. I, I studied uh, cardiac rehabilitation. And all these things were kind of building on my medical knowledge. And along the way, I was still in the reserves with the Navy. And then I switched over to the Marine Corps, and I became a combat field medic with the Marines. I got out of graduate school and got into pharmaceutical sales. So this track of sales was developing. And... I did really well in pharmaceuticals, um, got into being a, an OR. Um, I sold this product called uh, Diprovan as the drug that Michael Jackson overdosed on, um, propofol. It was a general anesthetic. And that got me exposed to working with surgeons and my military background really fit me into that environment um, because I knew the hospital, I knew how to work it. I knew how to 
work around all that medical stuff. And if I keep forward, I became a, a, a electrophysiology sales rep. I studied heart rhythms and then I got into cardiac interventional where I would unplug arteries. And then I got into cardiac surgery and I moved up from a sales rep to a regional guy to the national director of sales. And I started a company with a friend and uh, we ended up about four, four or five years later selling that company for a boatload of money. And we had uh, about 200 sales reps and I found myself at age 51 unemployed and nobody's hiring a 51 year old national director of sales very often. I mean, just, they just aren't there. So I had a choice of either going back in my career, going down in the ranks, maybe becoming a regional manager, trying to find another startup company that needed my knowledge. And I did do that. I, I worked for some, I did, I set up a, a uh, consulting company called medical device uh, solutions. And, uh, and then one day I was in Oslo, Norway, and I was bored and I was kind of lonely and I was sitting in a hotel jet lagged. And I started watching white tail properties, TV, uh, white tail properties, real estate has our, has this TV show. And, you know, whether you're Christian or not, you know, what happened to me, my, what happened to me is that play that spoke to me. I don't know what it was, but it, they reached out through that TV, that computer that I'd been living vicariously through watching guys on these TV shows and I just called them up. I just got on the phone from Oslo, Norway, and I called up Whitetail Properties Real Estate, and I asked for Dan Perez, and they put me right through to him. And Did Dan they really? picked up the phone. And, yeah, and Dan picked up the phone, and Dan says, "How you know this is Dan Perez?" I say, "Hey, Dan, this is Neil Hogger. Um, I'm director of sales of this company in Minneapolis, uh, Metaphor, and you you don't know me." And he says, "How'd you get to me?" And I said, "Well." You know, I've been in sales for 30 some years. I just know how to get to the right people. And he says, well, what can I do for you, Neil? And I said, well, how do I become one of you guys? Like, what's it take? And he's like, well, tell me about you. And so I kind of gave him the story. I just told you and a little shorter version. And Dan said, why don't you, uh, can you get down here to meet me? I'd like to meet you. So it just so happened that I was going to St. Louis for a training. And I said, sure, I'll drive over. So I rented a car, drove over in a snowstorm I walked into Whitetail Properties and then my name was up on the board. Whitetail Properties welcomes Neil Hogger, one of the main owners. I didn't know at the time, but he was an owner. Wes McConnell came out and shook my hand and like they were really, really happy to see me. Next thing I know, I got escorted into a room, into a room and they were showing me all the studio and where all the magic happens and all the editors. And they just took me around and then they sat me in this room and four people filed in. And next thing I know, I was being interviewed for a job with Whitetail Properties Real Estate. And the long and short of it, they offered me a job, but I did, I declined it. And I said, no. And it took me eight months to get back in there because I just wasn't in a territory that I knew I could succeed. I wanted where I'm at now. I waited eight months to get what I got. And now I've been with them seven years. So that's my story. Man, what a wild ride. Yeah, it has been. I often, I've often said to myself, you know, and I live my life this way. If at the end of my life, somebody was up there giving my eulogy, are, they, are people going to be asleep or are they going to be awake? And I've always said, I want to be interesting. And it's been an interesting ride. So, man, well, that's great. So you're, you're in the territory that you wanted to be in and, anybody around the country is going to know 
that it's a good one as soon as you start rattling off counties uh, where you're yeah. at. So, so uh, especially folks here in the state of Wisconsin. So what counties make up your territory? Yeah, well, I'll start with ground zero for deer hunting, the cathedral, and that's Buffalo County, Wisconsin. Um, but I started with Trumplo County, just south of that. And if I follow the Mississippi River, Buffalo is next, Pepin, Pierce, St. Croix, Polk, and then I go a little bit inland to Dunn. I used to have an additional six more. I had 13 initially, but I split it up with my good friend, um, Chris Polfus, and he covers that now. So after about six years, I condensed my 13 counties into uh, six that I have now. And I knew back then that it was a great mix of land because I've got a big metro area and I've got land at, you know, 10 to $15,000 an acre, all the way down to $1,200 an acre hunting land. I got it all. And it's just a great mix if you're going to set up a business selling land. Yeah, for sure. So uh, what are some of the, some of the, the big challenges would you say when it comes to land in that particular area? And, and maybe I should couch it with this. I, I do not currently own land. Owning land has been a dream of mine and my wife's. It has always felt possibly a little bit out of reach or difficult or j- yeah. just very, very shrouded in mystery. Right. So, so what are some of the challenges that you're seeing? Oh, and, and where we're at right now, Land comes up on the market and it's gone like that, and it's super expensive. We're in Dane County, Wisconsin, which just prices yeah. are prices are pretty high. So, uh, what are some right. of the challenges that you face as a land specialist, and that you see buyers facing in your territory? Yeah, well, just so you know, your general statement there of how you're feeling is I hear it so often. And people are, they call me and they say, how do I start? Like, I don't even know where to begin. And, you know, I developed, and because of that, I started trying to break it down. And I've talked about this on other shows called the Fab Five, and we can dive into that. Um, But before I do, you know, some general advice that I give people all the time is, the first thing is, is you got to, you got to just decide that this is what you want. I mean, and I think that goes for anything in life that once you set your mind to it, I tell this to my kids, wherever your head goes, your butt follows every single time. And so if you just make it your decision, then that's what you will be. Because there's, I studied when I was, when I was a psychiatric nurse. And then when I get into college, I actually took some psych courses and we, I I used to teach people visualization and you can look it up for people that are athletes and, and, you know, think of a, you've seen this, I'm sure you're watching the Olympics and there's a guy on the luge sled or whatever, he's getting ready to go down, but he's sitting there bouncing. He's got his head, you know, his, his eyes closed and he's just, you can see his body moving left, moving right. You know, he's, he's, he's riding that race down that luge before he even began it. And what a lot of people maybe realize or don't is that your mind can't tell the difference between what's reality and what's in your head. You know, if I, if I put it another way, if you tell yourself you're a loser every day, you're fat, you're ugly, you're stupid. And you tell yourself that a million times a day, you start to believe it and it becomes your reality. And so way back when, when I was in California and I was in the military and I wanted to come back to Wisconsin. And I can literally remember like 
sitting on the deck of my apartment, closing my eyes and just remembering the the pine groves where I hunted in Black River Falls and the smell of the pine, the smell of that dank earth, earthy smell of rotting leaves and twigs and soil that, you know, you're walking through the woods in the morning on a, on a hunting trip in October and right after a fresh rain and the guys that hunt, you know, exactly what I'm talking about. Cause you can close your eyes and you can smell it. Well, I did that only I was in California and I wasn't anywhere near it. And I, kept thinking someday I'm going to be back into that. I'm going to own land and, and I'm going to be back where my heart really is. And eventually I made it back, but I didn't own land. And, but I always kind of held that idea as I wanted to be a gentleman hunter with a nice grouse jacket and hunting grouse walking on my land and maybe having a cabin. And then there's that famous Terry Redland painting that little cabin overlooking the lake with that sunset and the ducks flying in and he's got a deer hanging in the back of the truck or whatever. I mean, I kind of just, that's what I envisioned. And I don't know that I specifically thought I was doing that, but that's, that was in my mind. I was just drawn to that. And then when I actually got uh, a, a job with you know, a corporation and started making some money, I started looking into the wanted to buy land, but I started looking in Buffalo County and gosh, it was so expensive. It was 600, maybe a thousand bucks an acre in Buffalo County. I can't afford that. You know, it's ridiculous back then. Now I look, Oh gosh, what a missed opportunity, <laughs> right? I'm selling it for like, it's selling for 10 grand an acre now, wow. but I ended up, I was on a sales route and I went into a doctor's office and he had these deer and these um, turkeys and a muskie. I remember. And I was talking to him and I kept looking up at that stuff and he finally turned around and he's like, I noticed you're looking at that. I'm like, yeah, you know, I kind of want to buy land someday. And he's like, well, I know some guy that's selling some land. And I said, really? And I go, well, I'm, you know, I'm not really buying. I'm, I'd like to, but I, uh, I didn't have a plan. Right. I mean, I hadn't talked to a lender. I hadn't, I hadn't had done anything. I just, I just wanted it, but I didn't, I didn't break it down. And so what I would tell people is you got to develop a plan. And if you have to write it out, you should write it out. And what I would tell people is maybe you can't buy in Dane County. You can't buy in Buffalo County, but could you buy in Rusk County? Could you buy in Price County, Ashland County, where I bought? I mean, land there is, you know, $1,300 an acre maybe. And so that's what I did. So I kind of lowered my sights a little bit. I drove three hours, 45 minutes. I met this doctor on this property and I bought the first property I ever walked on. And made all the mistakes in the world, worked out well, but, you know, it's just, it just kind of happened. But it, on the same sense that it just kind of happened, because I just stumbled into it, it was somewhat intentional because I was going that direction for over 20 years. It just took me till I was probably about 40 before I actually achieved it. So I bought cheap lands. That's the lesson. Maybe you have to lower your sights and go where the land is cheap. Um but before you go hunting for your land, you got to get your finances ready. You got to know what you're hunting with, how much money. And I've got guys, you know, the typical call that I get is 150,000 bucks. And they, you know, I live in Western Wisconsin, near Hudson, Wisconsin, and 150,000 bucks will get you a 20 acre parcel. And that's the listing that I got today. As a matter of fact, 20 acres, we're going to list it 130,000 bucks. And as soon as I put it out there, depending on how fast you get this out there, I'm going to, my phone's going to blow up. Cause it's going to be gone so fast, but you know, 130,000 is in the wheelhouse of a lot of people. 
And you typically got to come with about 10% down on that. So 13,000 bucks. And most guys can save 13,000 bucks. I mean, if you have to sell the old lady's car or your, you know, your fishing boat to do it and, you know, stop drinking monster drinks every day and scrape and save for a year or two, you can do it. And you just got to decide that's what you're going to do and you got to make it happen. So I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah. a lot of it's right here. It's between your ears. Absolutely. Absolutely. So t- tell me about, you mentioned something there that I, I really want to dive into because one of the thing that, one of the things that terrifies me is if I do achieve this goal of buying land one day and owning land, you said I made every mistake that you could make. And that, that freaks me out. The thought that I could invest so much in something and, and, and buy the wrong piece in the wrong neighborhood, do the wrong things to it and all of that. So go into, I want to hear two things. Number one, I want to hear why some uh, make a case for why somebody shouldn't show up to a doctor's land and buy the first piece that they, that they see. Why should they call somebody like you? Right. Right. And the second thing would be, what are the mistakes that they should be looking to avoid as they're looking and reviewing properties? Okay. Um, the first question, why should you just go buy the first one that you see? You might do that. And in my case, it was a great buy because I tripled my money and I spent a hundred thousand and I sold it for almost 400,000 in nine years. Wow. So it worked all right. Right. Yep. But I would tell people that you got to kind of like, when I sit down with people, I said, well, tell me, what do you want? I mean, how are you going to use it? Are you a rifle hunter? Are you a bow hunter? Are you a small game hunter? Do you want to just hunt it? And, or do you want to build on it someday? And if you, if it's really wet, you know, maybe you're going to stay in a hotel nearby and that's fine. Um, do you have equipment? Cause I, I went up there with an ax and a handsaw and that was about it. And I started literally hacking trails. So there was no infrastructure. Are you fit enough to do the work? Do you want to do that work? You know, I mean, there's a lot of things that you got to know about you yourself, your capabilities, your, your willingness to do it. Are you married? Like my wife wasn't on board with me having land three and a half hours away. And it was tough to get away sometimes. Cause now I had two little kids and I wanted to go up there all the time. And I wanted to put in food plots like the TV guys do. And I wanted to build trails. And then you know, eventually I wanted to build a cabin and, and, you know, all that time, all that took time and it took money and, you know, driving three hours, three and a half hours, one way to work overnight. And eventually, you know, I got a little camper on that it was full of mice and I'd sleep in that. And then I'd come back the next day. And so there's a lot of things like about where you want to be. And so sometimes you got to decide, okay, I just want to be within an hour of my home. That's, that's the sweet spot. And I'm not changing that, but I can't afford that. So I might have to go further away to get it. So knowing what you want out of a property, if it's a clear cut, it's not be good for bow hunting, right? But it could be great for rifle hunting. Um, if you want to be a food plotter, well, then don't buy a swamp because there's no dry ground. You got to find some upland in it. If you want to build a cabin, make sure you got it kind of well thought out. Are there utilities and and uh, where are you going to put the cabin? You got you to kind of think through this stuff as you're looking at it. So I would say, you know, the first thing is to sit down and just on get to know yourself. Like, what do you want of a property? But also realize, I tell this guy this all the time, don't get analysis paralysis. I mean, you're not going to check every box. 
check most of the boxes and make good as good enough is always something that I preach because you're probably going to improve it. And then you're going to call me and we're going to resell it and we're going to move you up. And that's what I did. And we could talk about that. Probably the biggest mistake that's potentially out there is like your neighbors, like what are they like? And then you don't always know. And I haven't had any terrible, you know, experience this, but when I bought my first property, it was kind of a community used property. There were tree stands in there and the doctor that owned it, he never hunted it and he didn't really care. And so I walked through there the first day and I see all these ladder stands and people are hunting it, obviously. And so I took them down and I set them on the road. And as I was doing this, this guy comes along and says, Hey, those are my stands. I said, well, I'm the new owner. I took them down for you Well, I've always hunted there for 30 years. I said, okay, well, um, I own it now. And, you know, taking your stands down and, you know, good to know you, but now I'm hunting it. Well, I've always hunted it. And he got started angry with me. And then I got another call from a guy. He got angry because he hunted and he had stands there. And, and then I got a third guy that called and I'm like, geez, I don't want to have a bunch of enemies, you know, in, in this little town. So this third guy kind of befriended me a little bit and I let him hunt. I said, look, just, you know, you can hunt in there occasionally. Um, and I did it mainly because I want to be his friend and I don't want to have enemies. And, but when you go in there, I just want to know you're going in there and because I might be coming up. And so I started finding that he was abusing that. He was riding his UTV through there. He was hunting it like it was his own. And I finally, I finally had, to, I was getting calls from neighbors about me riding my ATV through my land. And I said, look, first off, if I want to ride my ATV through my land, I will. Second off, I don't have an ATV. So that's not me. And you're yelling at the wrong guy. Uh, for screwing up your hunting. Okay. I don't have one. So I found out that it was this guy and I had to go to him and I said, look, I don't want you in there anymore. Okay. You're done. Um, so bad neighbors is something you kind of want to look into. If you're a trophy guy, you don't want to hunt like I did when I was young and it, Brown was down. We just hunted. It was just, we went hunting and whatever we saw, we shot and we were happy. That's because we weren't into trophies. Right. But now I'm a guy that wants to manage. And so you kind of want to get to know your neighbor. So if you're a guy that wants booners, you better find land that has booners in the area, number one, because they're not everywhere. And But if you're happy with a good Pope and Young, find out if your neighbors are kind of on board. Not to say you can't work with them later on and kind of manage the area up. But um, so those, that's important. Another thing I think is important is like people ask me all the time, do I need to survey a property? And, I, you know, I would, I would say this, surveying is always the best route. But usually as a selling agent, I don't have a survey. I'm transferring it via, via property identification number, PID. And it's on the top of your taxes. And when I do the listing, I'll say this offer to purchase is for 40 acres with the following PID in town of Wilson, Polk County, Wisconsin. And I identify with that number. And the taxes say that is 39.9 you know, acres or whatever. It might not actually be 39.9 acres. I don't have a survey of it, but that's what I'm transferring it to you. I'm not making claims. I don't know. I'm not a surveyor. I don't have to do it. You might buy it as 39.9 acres and find out you have 34 acres. You might find out you have 41 when you survey it. So if you're a guy that just has to know on the front end, you either ask your seller to survey it as part of your offer to purchase. He'll probably tell you no, or you survey it as part of your offer to purchase and your offer is based on the acreage. So if it comes in at 34 acres and you're offering him $3,500 based on 34, based on surveyed actual acres, your price is adjusted 
It could go up, it could go down. That's not how it's normally done. But that's a way that you could do it if you just have to know. Because I just did a sale, and if you look at the map, every six miles I was told by a surveyor, if I'm right on this, it adjusts because the curvature of the earth. So when you go six miles further west, it actually that line goes down, and then they readjust it, right? He lost, like, I don't know how many acres in that 160-acre parcel. It wasn't 160. It was like 148. Wow. We sold it as 160, though, because we transferred it via PID number, and that's what the taxes said he had. Later on, they surveyed it, and it came back less. And the owner says, well, I didn't sell it to you on a survey. I sold it to you on a PID number off of the GIS, and that's the best resources I had. You asked for a survey. I said, no. You opted to buy it without a survey. That's your that's your problem, yeah, I guess. Your decision. Your decision. Man. So I got a call from a lawyer on that one saying I misrepresented. And I said, no, I didn't. I told him I'm selling PID number that according to county GIS is this many acres. That's what I sold him. I didn't make any claims sacred. I just said what the GIS said it was. And that's my best source of information. Industry standard, GIS. Secondly, I use a software called MapRite. MapRite map lined up with that. So I had two sources of information that I provided your client with. So I did my due diligence and he, I won that case, but it never went to a case, but he backed off because he knew I was right. So survey or not to survey, that's the question. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things that, you know, we, it, it's kind of come up a little bit in some of the answers that you've been, that you've been given a lot of times, you know, folks are going to buy a piece of property and much like you buy maybe a starter home, you're going to buy a starter property. Maybe you're buying, you know, you're getting into something that, like you said, you're going to probably improve. Then we're going to call Neil in a couple of years and want to sell it and move up to something either a little bit bigger or a little bit better, maybe in a different neighborhood. Right. So right. What, are, what are the things that, that as a, as a buyer, I'm going to be looking for to say this, I can improve. Does that make okay. sense? So like, like what are, yeah. what are those things that are, that are raw that I can then take and improve so that I can increase the value of my land and be, be happier in 10 years when I sell it? All right. I'm going to answer it like this. I'm going to tell you some things I think you can do that you'll gain three to $500 an acre on that land. And then I want you to ask me this question because before we ever buy that land, how do you find that land? And that's because that's just as important. But things that you can do on the land, the first thing I tell people is have in your mind that you are going to sell this property because everybody tells me I'm never selling it and some land never sells, but somebody's going to sell it eventually. So the opportunity that you might sell that land is somewhere down the road, not too far down the road. And it all starts with marketing and you don't have to be a professional salesman and marketer, but I want you to document the story of your land. I want you to go on there and I want you to take photographs of the before and afters on any improvement you do. I want you to put out trail camera pictures. I want you to start to categorize year over year, all the wildlife that you do so that you can start to show a story of like on my farm, Indian Creek, the first year was all little dinks. They were all little basket rack bucks, but I'm into year two now and I've managed up. I'm getting 120 to 130, maybe 140 class bucks. And I didn't kill any of them. Those 120, 130, 140, hopefully it'll be 130, 140, 150, or, you know, you get the idea. 
but I'm going to document that. And I document all the, all the improvements. And then probably the biggest bang for your buck could be a forestry mulcher and have them come in and make trail systems so you can get around your property. And I use a couple of guys. I'll give you, can I plug them? Sure. Absolutely. I use a couple of guys uh, called uh, Rooted Land Management. They're out of Stevens Point or Plover, Wisconsin. And these guys, Mark, Will, and um, Evan, three outstanding Christian young men. They have their own gear. They come in and they I've used them multiple times. And for about 2000 bucks, they'll give you about eight hours of work. And it's the best money you could spend. You mark out the trails, they'll come in and they'll open it up in a day. And what would have took you a couple of years of hacking with a machete and a chainsaw, they'll do in a day. And you just added, I ain't kidding. Yeah. For 2000 bucks, you probably added 10,000 value easy. It's a, it's, so it's a one to five ratio. Um, that's probably the best thing you could do. And then start hanging stands and don't hang crap. Get some good quality stands and plan on leaving them with the sale. Because you could go out and hang a couple ladders, a couple hang-ons, maybe get some trail cameras and start you know, setting your property up with a logical method. And if you want to write a plan on that, that's another sales tool that you'll have. There's a lot of guys out there, like a friend of mine, Jeff Nelson, I'll plug him. He's, he'll do a plan for two grand and he'll write a plan and, and you could get into the weeds on these plans. There's a million guys that write them and everybody's going to tell you different, but having a plan sets you up. So now let's say two, three, four years down the road, you've hunted it, killed a couple of deer, you had a good time and you want, you want to move up. It's 40 acres isn't big enough. Well, now you come to me say, I've got a plan. I got trails. I put in water holes. I got five stands in place. I got three or four cameras. I'm going to live, leave with a deal. And here's a USB with three or four years of photographs showing the process. What a story, man. That's like, I'm drooling if I got a guy like that, because now I can say, okay, well, the average price per acre in your township is three grand an acre, but because you've um, managed this, I'm going to list it at 3,500 an acre across your 40. And you just made 500 bucks an acre across your 40. And I'll bet you, if you add up your money, you spend five grand. So that's how you do it. All right. We've got our plan, right? We were, we're, we know what, what we're looking for. How do we find that piece of property? Because I can tell you as somebody who's been trying to watch different things, you don't just find great properties sitting on the market. So what do, right. what do we do? Well, the first thing you can do is get with a guy that sells what you're buying, right? I know a good one in Northwestern Wisconsin. Um, yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. All right. So if you want land, why are you shopping Susie Realtor that's in town who doesn't sell land? She sells houses like nobody's business, but she's not really that great in land because she works in loafers and has a sedan, right? Yep. So go find yourself any number of whitetail properties, land specialists all across the nation. And if I'm being fair balance, which I always am, there's different companies, go find one of them. They're all great guys, all cut from the same cloth and they are in the know. And maybe you're shopping a couple of them, but if you really want to get in and get the call, like the 20 acres that I got today and I called the guy because he called me. And he gets first shot at it. You need to get to know one of those guys. You need to be his buddy. Call him up, text him, talk to him, get to know him. What's going on, man? Hey, can I take you out to lunch? I just like to know you. And I want to, I'm looking for some land. I am pre-qualified. I'm a hot buyer. And when it comes, I want you to think of my name. So I had a video on my vlog about this being close to the center of influence. 
that agent, wherever you're at, that you're listening, there is somebody that sells land. You need to get in his back pocket. But the process of finding the right land, there is a method that I've developed. I'm not going to say I'm the original guy that came up with this original thought, but I heard it more on a residential level and I have adapted it to land. And I call it the Fab Five. And the Fab Five could really be the Fab Eight, but I kind of narrowed it down to, you know, maybe the Fab Ten, but I've narrowed it down to five things that I think you can do. And the first thing is, Look at look at your map where you're at. Okay, I'm if you I'm I'm near uh, Minneapolis, uh, Minneapolis St. Paul. And if you look at the map, you'll see these corridors of travel. The, I, I, 35 going north, um, I-94 going out west, I-94 coming in. You know, uh, 252, 64. I mean, all these freeways. It looks like a spider web, and they're all heading out of town. Those are the geographic travel corridors, and that land is always the first to develop. In your little town of Pittsville, Illinois, there's a highway that comes in or comes out of that town, and there's always amenities on that. There are truck stops, there are gas stations, there are convenience stores, the houses come up. That's that's the route of growth. You want to be on one of those routes of growth. Not too close. We're going to get to that, but focus on that. Because people want to travel and they want to get to their land quickly. The next thing that kind of goes along with geographic travel corridors is demographic growth corridors. And what that is, is along those travel routes, that's where populations push in. So two or three times in my life, third time now with my residential home, I've got out in front of the, on a travel corridor in front of the demographic growth, and I got out in front of it. And it takes some time to catch up, but the further you go out, the cheaper the land becomes and you can afford it. But you know developments come in your way. And I've done it three times. I bought my first house for 137. I sold it for 170. I bought another one for 205. I sold it for 318. I bought another one for 275. I sold it for 475. I got the one I'm in now for 378-ish. And my neighbor just sold for 602. So every time I capitalize on that demographic growth, it was coming and I got out in front of it. You got to have a little foresight because when I moved here, there was a four lane freeway that ended at the St. Croix River. And there was another four lane freeway that picked up on the other side of the river, but there was no connection. And I said to myself, there's no way that they've got a four lane freeway that isn't going to get a bridge someday. And everybody said, yeah, yeah, right. You know, they've been talking about that for 30 years. I said, no, it'll happen. And it did. And so I have a brand new bridge four miles from me right now. And then our property values went through the roof. So when you're on the geographic travel corridors, demographic growth corridors, then you want to be three to five hours, or excuse me, one to three hours from that metro. In my area, it's Minneapolis, St. Paul. Most people want to buy property with a one to three hour drive. The closer you're in, the higher value and the harder it is to get. Scarcity and cost. The further out, prices drop and people don't want to drive that way. So there's more available. That is a general rule. doesn't matter if you're in residential land, three to five minutes from your work or a center of a mall. That's where people kind of want to be. It's where everything is. They want to be that close. Okay, so once you've found your property that's one to three hours, the next thing is you want to be three to five miles off of that travel corridor. So in my area, if you think of like Interstate 94 
Then it crosses over into Wisconsin and 60, uh, 3564. Then 3564 turns into County, you know, I. Then County I turns into Johnson's Lane. Then Johnson Lane turns into a gravel road where I want to be. All that happens in about three to five miles. That's the most, um, that's the travel where I can get back onto a county highway really quick, but I'm off of it where I don't hear semis and, and I have a lot of traffic. So that's really important. And then the last thing on the Fab Five is diversity. And there's a lot of things you could talk about in when you're looking for diversity, but if you walk onto a property, don't or avoid monoculture. My first property was all timber, but I did have a wetland in a semi-flowing Krause Creek with a beaver dam that created edge. So that was a little diversity. And I had some upland and I had some lowland. And I had some areas that I were clear cut that I clear cut. So I created edge. So the diversity in habitat, when you walk on a property, the more in, in scientific world, we call them biomes, but that's just a fancy word for habitat types, grassland, uh, you know, a swamp, upland timber with oaks, uh, tag alder swamp, uh, food plots and corn fields could be a biome. Okay. The more that you can get on a property, the better and the more valuable it'll be. And there, that, that, that's a whole podcast in itself, but those are the fab five. If you can find all five of those, you, you got something. And I saw that with my farm that I just bought Indian Creek and I bought it for, 378,000 bucks. And I just had a lady tell me that she wanted to buy it and she was thinking maybe 700 and I bought it two years ago. Yeah. So luck combined with a little bit of knowledge and a little plan might work out really well for me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, what you just said right there, luck, obviously we can't control that. You said combined with a little bit of knowledge, right? That's the big, that's the big key. I think when, when guys are saying, I want to make the absolute most of my investment. And I see that being a lot of where guys like you come in, right? Where we can have somebody that we can trust, that we can talk to, who uh, is going to point us in the right direction for this really meaningful investment, right? Like if I'm, if I'm buckling down and not drinking monster energy drinks for a year and I'm doing whatever it takes to get that down payment and I'm going to make this, this purchase. I want to know that I could trust that the person that is helping me buy land is uh, not just out to make a sale, but is out to help me in make a, make an investment, right? Like, like, so that we all benefit in this process. And I've only bought and sold a couple of homes. um, But I can tell you right now, having, realtors that I trust that have pointed me in the right direction has been a tremendous asset to me from, yeah. from the very beginning. So tell me a little bit about as not just from a, from a land perspective, but as we're, as we're trying to find, you know, somebody from whitetail properties or something like that, what, what am I looking for as I'm, as I'm conversating with these people and as I'm beginning to talk with them, what, what are the qualities of the person that, that I want to see coming through as I'm evaluating whether I go with this person or this person. Right. You know, I, I literally, I, I've literally had thousands, if not tens of thousands of phone calls from people that say when something really com- good comes up, you know, give me a call and I'll never call them. I don't even remember their name, mm. to be honest with you. I asked them, 
you know, this is what I'd like you to do. And I would ask them to follow me on social media and I want them to call me. I said it today to a guy. I said, I'm going to tell you what I tell everybody. Call me every day. Call me once a week. Call me so I get to know who you are. I know that you're sticking with me. I know what you're looking for. I remember your name. And this guy, his name is Cabe. And he called me and I had 20 acres with a $150,000 budget. Guess what, Cabe? I got your property. It just happened that quick for that guy. Mm. And I don't know if he's going to buy it, but it did happen because he did call me. Um, you could tell when you're a realtor, when you're an agent, you could tell the ones that are just using you. It gets a little annoying, I'll be honest with you, um, but it's part of the job. And you know that they're kind of playing their odds. And they're, they they think, I had a conversation with a guy, and as we were talking, I mean, you just kind of can tell. And I said, how many agents are you talking to? And there's three or four guys in my area that do mine. And I knew he's talking to every one of them. And I said, why don't you do this? Why don't you stick with me? We'll do a buyer agency agreement. And that means you hired me. And if you buy a property, I'm going to get paid. And I'm going to go to work for you. Oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be locked into, I'm like, okay, so instead you're calling the three or four other guys in my area and none of us are working for you. Cause we all know you're calling each one of us. Yeah. So, all right. If you don't want to do that, I totally get it. Then follow me, call me, just get to be my friend or, you know, a business level friend and just do that. That's fine. I get it. But if you really want me to go to work for you, then hire me to do the job. And I don't take on everybody. Cause I can't, I just don't have the time, sure. but if I get a guy that really knows what he wants, he's ready to buy, you know, time is money to me and I'll find it will be two or three showings on a couple properties and I'll sell him a property. I mean, it's, but don't hire me or don't start working with me like this one guy did. And on about the 18th property, I, I just said, John, I got to ask you a question. Like, what are you looking for? Like I've shown you so many properties like, Oh man, I'll know what I've seen when I see it. You know, I, I, uh, I've been looking for about four years and I just, I just haven't seen it, but I'll know. And I said, John, I'll be honest with you. I don't have time to do this. Okay. I just don't, I, you know, I, I have a lot of listings. I have a lot of people and I'm just going to be up front with you. I don't have the time to go hiking with you every weekend because it's a whole day. It's gas, it's time. And I'm not trying to blow you off. I want to help you, but man, we got to buy something. And, and that every agent, every realtor knows what I'm talking about. And it's like, you know what, it's not that I'm too good to help him. It's just like, it's a business, man. It's like, I can't go to work every day and not get paid. And real estate is like the only, the only uh, uh, job I've ever had where I don't get paid until the last day. I've already done all my work. You know, I don't get a paycheck until I close in six months, yeah. but I do a lot of stuff and I might not ever get paid, even though I did the work, you know? Yep. So yep. That's important. Like be real with a guy and get to know him. And I've got a handful of guys. I could think of it. I think of a couple guys right now off top. I just think of some names and I know that they're for real and they're not using me and you gravitate towards those guys. It's just human nature. Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> what am I, what am I leaving out? So uh, as we're talking about um, really, we've, we've actually talked, a lot about sort of those first steps, which is kind of what I wanted to cover in this podcast, because I'm sure this is what you get most of the time, you know, guys who are not anywhere near this world saying, okay, how do I start to, to jump in? Do you have any other thoughts? What, what am I leaving out? What, what questions have I not asked that I should have asked at this point uh, for, for the guy thinking about buying property, the guy thinking about, you know, jumping into this? Yeah. All right. Take a, like I said, we kind of hit a lot of things, but let me just try to summarize it. Figure out how much money you can spend, really how much money you can spend. 
Because if you can't pay cash, you're going to have a payment. You just got to know your budget. That's the first thing I ask guys, like, what's your budget? And don't tell your agent, oh, just send me anything. No. Right? How much can you afford? Number two, have you talked to your bank? Are you pre-approved for that amount? Or do you have cash? And cash isn't, yeah, I have cash. Once I get my loan, I'll have cash. Cash is, I got greenbacks in my hand, or I got a savings account with the money, or maybe I have an IRA, which I can get the money in 10 days or whatever, or I'm pre-approved and send them a letter of pre-approval. And then really talk to yourself, what am I looking for? I want, I just want a 40 with a dry area where I could stick a little cabin. And um, I'd like, I'd like to be within 10 miles of some public land because 40 is not going to be enough. And I want to put my kids, you know, on that. And I'd like to be within two hours of my home. And I've targeted Polk County, Wisconsin, because I like your videos and it looks like the kind of land that I'd like to own. So if you can like narrow it down. And then once you kind of narrow your focus a little bit, so you're not just, you know, throwing mud against the wall and hoping something sticks, drive to that area and start digging in. And I mean, I, I, I go when I'm driving around, I, you wouldn't believe how many for sale by owner signs I see. I stop into a little diner. I have lunch. I start talking to the waitress or the guys and pass out my cards. And then you could do this. Say, I'm looking for some land. You know, anybody around here that has some land, they'd be willing to sell. I'm pre-approved. I'm looking for 40 acres because the last thing they want to do is pay a realtor a commission, right? They'd be happy as all get out to find a guy that actually has money and talk to people and make friends with people. Go to the John Deere dealership and say, hey, you know, any real any landowners that are retiring are selling off some land or maybe they've got some non-productive land timber and they're willing to sell 30 acres because the rest of it is tillable and that's what they really want so a lot of it's just like just getting into whatever you're doing it's like anything the more you get into it the more like the inside opportunities kind of come to you you got to get immersed then you got to keep your mind in that track long enough for it to happen Cause I talked to so many young guys and again, I'm aging myself here, but we're in this instant gratification world where you can, you know, you can order up a pizza and a girlfriend on an app and, and the girlfriend will be at your house quicker. I mean, that's just kind of the, how things are working these days. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, right. So me, you may have edited that out, but, but that's <laughs> an instant gratification. Okay. That's an instant gratification. I kept it, you know, G level, but that's an instant gratification that, I think these, this younger, I hate to say this because it makes me sound old, but the younger generation, they're so used to it happens so quickly. You know, I bought my first property in 2005 and we're at 2022 and I bought two more, but it was a slow process. If we're talking like nine years on the first one, you know, now I'm on to the second one and I bought others and, you know, but it's a slow process. But if you're 25 to 35, which is probably the category of most people listening to podcasts, you literally have 30, 40 years ahead of you. Get started. Don't overthink it. Just buy something and improve it. I'll help you do it. Man, I like that. You'll help us do it. So, so Neil, that's a good segue. How does somebody get a hold of you? How do we find you? Okay. Well, there's a couple ways you can find me. The first thing is social media. That's the best way. Um, if you all go on Facebook, Neil Hogger land specialist, and you'll search that you'll find my business page. You could probably find my personal page as well, but that's my business page. If you go to YouTube, my YouTube channel is called the American Landman. Again, search Neil Hogger land specialist on YouTube. You'll find me. 
You can go to whitetailproperties.com, click the agents tab, type in Neil Hogger, you'll get me. Um, or you could just uh, call me on my cell phone. If you go to Whitetail, you'll see my number there and you can call me. I am glad to talk to people after these shows. I always get calls and I'll spend as much time. I have a lot of windshield time. I love to talk to guys about it. And I appreciate you following me and liking me and doing all that because it helps my social media presence grow. Yeah, I've got to say, Neil, I've talked with you a handful of times, man. And and not only are you putting out really good content that's really, really helpful for the uh, for the potential buyer, uh, but you've been more than happy to take the time to chat with me, which a lot of times when you're scrounging up people to do interviews with and that kind of thing, they, uh, you know, it, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of your time. You've been more than happy to chat with me. So I, I really appreciate that. I highly recommend uh, any of our listeners that are looking at buying some land to give you a call. So what, what happens if I'm look, if I'm in Dane County, let's say, and I'm like, okay, maybe I could buy something in rock or Iowa or green County. Can I call Neil still, or do I need to find someone else? How do the territories work? Yeah, you can. I mean, I'm licensed in Wisconsin, so I can represent you as a buyer agent. Um, I am obligated to go at least once inspect it. Although a lot of times that doesn't happen with agents, but I, I think to really get to know that property, I, I'd like to go there, but I can do a lot through data. I mean, I can go to uh, a database that I pay money to have and I'll tell you, okay, in Rock County, um, in that township, the average price per acre across 25 sales going back two years is X dollars per acre. I filter out the highs. I can filter out the lows. I'm pretty ballpark. And then I can go to MapRite software and I can pull up that property with PID number and I can overlay, you know, FSA maps for tillable land, wetlands, water features, topography. I can zoom out and look at your neighbors. I can see, you know, do you realize you got like a subdivision that's not developed, but there's a lot of little two acre lots on the east side, but then on the west side, you got a 500 acre farm, which is positive. And there's a good corridor coming in because that wetland or what, you know, I could tell a lot from that. And I can advise you on a lot. And then I could simply just go to the MLS and go, let me see what I can find that's similar to this and say, yeah, that looks like, it looks interesting. It's worth looking. Then we just make a call to that agent and say, hey, I'm going to take, you know, Josh out there and I'm going to show him this property. But for me, and I have helped people as far as like three, four hours away, it's not great business if it's a $100,000 sale because I'm probably going to make 1.7%, and then I got to give 40% of that to my broker. So I'm you know making 900 bucks or whatever. It's just not a good business sense. So in that case, I'll say, I tell you what, I'm going to get you in touch with Seth Gady, my the guy down there, and I'll put you to him. And the way Whitetail works, the benefit is, we just change it. We just share them. We don't do these referrals and we don't, Hey, I got, I got a hot buyer. You know, will you give me a buyer referral on them? You know, 25% of the sale or whatever. We don't do that because I'm not, the guy's not going to make that much money on it anyways, if you're a small buyer. So honestly, I would say it's probably best to go to that listing agent, but just know even though he's representing you legally, he's not representing you. You're sub agent to him. He represents his client. It's not that he's not going to tell you certain things, but he's not obligated to like pour his guts out about all the bad things about a property that you might want to know. Whereas your buyer agent works for you if you have a buyer agency agreement with him and he should be looking in, looking out for your benefit. So it's a little bit both ways, I guess, if that answers your question. No, absolutely, absolutely. So it sounds like a good starting place for anybody, no matter where we end up, no matter where we're buying property, 
give Neil a call first and you'll point us in the right direction. I've got people from all over the country that call me and I'll say, let me get you in touch with, you know, whoever in Kentucky. I, I'll make one call. I'll get you to the right guy. Good luck. Let me all go. Thanks for watching me on my YouTube channel. I appreciate it. And call me if you have questions because I'd be glad to help you. And that's all all the guys at Whitetail Properties are. I mean, they're just super dudes and gals. Fantastic people. We'll, we'll help you. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Neil, thanks for your time. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. We'll have to have you on again soon. All right, buddy. Thanks for having me. And that is all for this week, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for tuning in. Big thanks to Neil for coming on the podcast. If you're looking to buy or sell land here in Wisconsin, even if you've just got questions about where to get started, give Neil a call. Uh, You can find more from him on his YouTube, Neil Hogger Land Specialist. Also find him on Instagram at Wisconsin Landman. He's a great guy. He's always happy to help. And uh, hey, if you give him a call, let him know I sent you his way. Now be sure to follow us on Instagram, like, subscribe, and follow this podcast wherever it is you access it. If you can, leave us a review. That really helps us out. Share this podcast with others so that we can keep spreading the word, so that we can keep celebrating and spreading a passion for the incredible resource that is ours as Wisconsin sportsmen. 